Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Classroom to Copy. This is part two of the interview I did with Sean McIntyre last week. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. It's a good one. So I know we, I could talk to you all day about financial copy, but I do want to remember the, uh, our audience. And um, there were like two very interesting things that you, you shared with the Discord that stay with me to do, to this day you said that if you're starting out in copy i don't recommend that you niche down although i completely ignored that advice <laughs> immediately oh, that's good. yeah because um for me i felt like i i did my 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 version of not niching down was like going off and trying to be an artist a teacher in for many years and then figuring out like i want to do something else entirely and then i didn't want to waste any time exploring different niches um, yeah. But you have a very interesting take on that, and then, uh, which is also kind of related to how you never thought you would end up in finance, and you have like a pretty interesting backstory for that. So could you share more about you know niching down and how you ended up as a financial, uh, how you end up in you know financial, and you never thought you'd end up there. Of course, of course. It's funny. I actually just told a story uh, on a stream yesterday uh, for copy that. But um, and, and yesterday, by the way, for people listening to this 10,000 years in the future is August 16th, 2023. Um, I'll start with answering uh, the question about niching down because I want to you know, front load the actual advice and I'll leave the, you know, the fun stories and stuff like that for later. But in terms of niching down, um, I have... I'm, I'm doubly minded about it because here's the thing. What do people want? Do people want to be a financial copywriter or do people want to be a copywriter? Like what, what are people getting at? And really once you start diagnosing that about yourself, what you realize is that most people, they, you know, they're picking a niche, not based on their personal interests, not based on their passions, not based on their you know past knowledge, not based on their experience. They're picking it because they think that they're going to get the most money from it. And so those people have a tendency a frequent tendency to struggle, really struggle. Because, you know, just think about what you have to do to learn financial copy or health copy or something like that. Not only do you have to learn, like, the register of copy, but also you need to learn, like, like the ins and outs of the business. Financial copy is a weird freaking world. Like, yeah. you know this. Like, it's <laughs> it's different from any other niche. It's different from any other type of copy. And like the requirements, the legal requirements, the, the, the compliance requirements, the editing requirements, the structural, it's so crazily different from everything else. So not only do you have, like have to learn that and like there's a sort of limited or maybe even parsimonious amount of things that you could transfer over into that skill, but then also like you also have to learn financial stuff. Like you have to learn so much, like just to get even like a, a barely a toehold into financial copy. But here's the thing. You, uh, a friend of mine, Cody, have done it, but it's because they knew what they wanted and they just beelined it for that. They were like, okay, I need to learn this, 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 and this. And then they just picked it up along the way. And they they didn't care about like trying to make money as a copywriter, copywriter along the way because that wasn't their goal. Their goal was to achieve this. And I think that if people want to achieve and get into a particular niche in a particular business, vehicle and videos, that's totally fine. Approach it with a monomaniacal singularity of purpose. Just go after it. 
But most people are not like that. That's like one out of 20 people are like that. And most of those people fail. Like most of those people don't make it. Like they, they you know, they shoot for the stars or the, they shoot for the moon and they end up among the stars or something like that. So what is a girl to do? The other 95% of people, like, don't worry about niching down because most of your jobs early in a, like, generalist copywriting career, like, you don't, you can't, you don't get to pick. You don't get a choice. You're going to be cold pitching people. You're going to be reaching out to people on Upwork. You're going to be trying to get jobs. And, like, you're going to be, like, one day you're going to be writing PPC ads. The next day you're going to be writing cold emails. The next day you're going to be writing SEO blogs. The next day you're going to be writing a sales page. And what typically happens for those people is that they will get really good reviews about a particular thing and, you know, say it's writing um, uh, product descriptions for candles. And I, I use the candle um, product description thing often because it's something I have uh, some experience with. If you do that, other candle makers are going to be like, oh, he did a good job. Or that same candle maker is being like, oh, you did a good job come back and do more for me. And then all of a sudden your portfolio is just full of product descriptions for candles. And like, man, you started out wanting to write health copy for like joint supplements, but here you are, you're the candle guy now. And that's the typical trajectory of like most copywriters lives. And guess what? You can make a ton of money as the candle guy. Like you can, you can branch out and write other like genres of copy for candle makers. And now all of a sudden, because you've written like, I 80,000 product descriptions for various smelling candles. You, you have now a sustainable, wonderful career thinking only about candles every single day. And that's, that's what happens. That's actually what happens to people. And it only occurs if you don't hyper focus. If you are a generalist, if you take any job, guess what? The niche is going to choose you. You're going to become the candle guy. <laughs> and, like, obviously, you know, there are many off-ramps to go do something else along the way if you don't want to be the candle guy. Um, but for the most part, people just kind of stumble and bumble into the niches based upon just pursuing the money. And if you're not passionate about something, if you there's not a particular niche or topic that you're just like, oh, my God, I want to live, breathe, eat, shit consume financial copy every single day of my life for the next 18 years. If you're not that person, man, just become, just let yourself become the candle guy, you know, just, you know, learn how to write a good email, learn how to write a good squeeze page, learn how to write a good welcome sequence, learn, you know, learn how to write a good landing page or product description, throw those things into your portfolio and then start like applying for work and, you know, just let whatever happens happen. And that's going to be a better less stressful, faster to monetize path for the vast majority of copywriters. And I would say it's, it's 95%, you know, 19 out of 20 people. Yeah. So that, that's my opinion of niching. And I mean, not to mention you'll be getting your reps in because like all the stuff that Sean just mentioned about learning to write a good email or squeeze page, none of that's easy either. So <laughs> like, if you can cut down on the, on the stress, of starting out and still make money like you're doing great um i remember <laughs> i i just remember i was i was struggling because um i i like that linear progression that you described and i, I just couldn't get that from from like jumping around um yeah but yeah 
And then you you also shared this this thing about. Well, we'll talk more about that. So, you know, what was your experience like? You know, as you were learning copy, like, were you trying to go the broad route, or were you trying to, you know, hyper specialize at first? Um. Well, my my online tutoring plans fell through, so I was like, okay, I hear that copywriting pays well. I love writing, but what the hell is copywriting? So. Uh, what is copywriting? I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, and then I, I I think I joined the Discord. I started seeing what like copy that people were posting and also tips for getting on Upwork. So I tried that. Um, but then I think someone sent me my first financial promo. I watched it and it appealed to me as a like a visual artist. And I was just like, and uh, someone who taught literature, I was like, look at the storytelling and yeah. the way they're telling stories about finance. I mean, finance is a very dramatic world, despite what a lot of people think. And I was just hooked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you can make a lot of money writing this? Like, I want to learn how to do that. And I just want to do that. Like, I was the, – the three practices that you shared, like, to do every day, I was doing that. I was falling asleep <laughs> with, like, my iPad on my face from, like, marking up promos. Like, I was eating and shitting financial coffee. <laughs> That was my journey. Um, then I apologize. I, I should have asked you if I could swear on this. Oh, it's fine. I, I, I swear all the time on my website. Um, but, yeah, and then then I hit a point where I don't want to keep bugging Sean to look at my financial copy. Where should I go? And I want to, like, compensate people for, for you know, taking the time to, to read my copy and give feedback because I can't test it on the market yet. Right? I'm not there yet. The only way I know if my copy can work is by getting someone experienced to look at it. So I looked around. Um, I think I even considered like doing a mentorship with you guys before. I don't know if you still do that uh, with the copy that thing. Yeah, I, re- I think I remember when you, you guys stopped. Um, uh, it's funny. At Stansford, do you uh, work at all with a person named Janet? Yeah. She's She was one of our... our, our our mentees. She's oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if, if you get a chance to, to, I need to reach out to her just to see how she's doing. But if you get a chance, you know, please tell her I said hi. But she's she's so cool. Like, mm-hmm. uh, lots of respect towards her. She's really wicked smart. So. Yeah, she she just uh, did really well um, working with Michael Ford on an AI promo. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was we were just watching the numbers climb every day. So yeah, really cool. Um, but yeah, so there was, um, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I think after just six years of teaching and knowing that it's not what I wanted to do, even though like there are parts of it I enjoyed, like what you said, then um, the moment I saw a financial, a financial promo, I was like, yeah, that's it. And I just want to focus on that. I'm, I'm done fucking around and not knowing what to do with my life. So I just went all in. That's, see, and that I think is also a good, um, how should I say, alternative view of the binary choice that I just presented to people. Because if you're starting, like, if you're starting off as a generalist, you're going to stumble across something that might just light up the dopaminergic centers of your brain and be like, oh my God, that is something I want to dedicate my life to. And, but here's the thing, if people are just hyper-focused on like, oh, I just want to be in the most financially profitable niche, um, people are going to miss out on the serendipity that can happen and like draw them towards something that like is lucrative and is interesting to them. Yeah. And so I, I think what happened to you is 
a very common story and a very good story and a good example of like what can happen if you just start broad and then sort of like sift through the weeds a little bit and then discover the thing that is really, really stimulating and interesting to you. And I think that that's a good path that people should take. But I mean, I, what is it? George R. R. Martin talks about how like some people are gardeners and some people are architects. And I definitely am like, you know, be a gardener, you know, dig around the dirt, kind of figure stuff out. Like other people like have to have a plan and like figure things out that way. And I, I'm just not that person. So I know we're coming up to the hour. I do have like <laughs> so many questions, but um I can give you uh, another uh, 28 minutes. I have I have to bolt at one so that I can actually write. But if you uh, want to ask me a few more questions, I'd be delighted to answer them. See, this is this is why like I followed everything that he said. I don't even know if you knew. Like I was like taking screenshots of everything that you posted on Discord. Like study this like a Bible um, because. Uh, you know, he's just been so, he is so generous with, with, you know, his advice. Um, where to begin? Hmm. Oh, yeah. The, I could. The, the story about, like, uh, how you, you didn't think. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we both have ADHD, right? Like, this is. Is this... I... We do indeed. Yeah, I, so, I, uh, I have <laughs> very bad ADHD. I, I have a horrible tendency to jump around to a lot of different things. Um, and for me, it makes sense in the sort of nebulous uh, cacophony of information that I tend to spit out. But hopefully um, it's helpful to the people that are listening right now. I, I really do sincerely hope that. But you had an earlier question, which was like, how did I end up in financial copy and why did I choose that? And um, the reason why I was reluctant to get into financial copy was because both my father and my grandfather were stockbrokers, stock and option brokers. And I grew up in basically running around the halls of a stockbroker's office, Paulson Investment, you know, the Paulson Investment offices in Calabasas, California. And so I, you know, I learned how to use a Bloomberg terminal at the age of nine. I, I bought my first stock at the age of 11. Like it was Apple and my dad didn't hold on to it. Otherwise I'd be wealthier than I am. Um, and so like I, I was very conversant and knowledgeable about finances going to college. And, um, I've always viewed that world. Because, you know, stockbrokers, they're on the sales side of that world, not not the analysis side, not the, you know, helping people, like, manage their money side. They're, it's pure sales. And some of the tactics that I saw, just, it, they were really swarmy. And so, like, from that experience and then other experiences I had later in life, I had I had a strong distaste of the financial industry. It was very exploitative. And I didn't want to be a part of that. But as I got into copy and, you know, after I got into Palm Beach Research Group, what I realized was that actually like selling information to help people empower themselves about this kind of topic, about this kind of stuff, that can actually help people. And like, listen, I do a lot of research. I have never seen a person talk about how an article from the Wall Street Journal helped them get rich. I've never seen a person on an Internet forum talk about how that, you know, idea for them, help them get rich. But I have seen people write in 
and tell their story about how a newsletter recommendation helped them get rich. You know, like, yes, it's sales, but also it's changing people's lives, ideally for the better, if the advice is actually good. Yeah. And, you know, you work for, for Stansberry and Associates, like they have, they have some of the best lifetime values from customers in our industry because they've done such a good job of treating customers well over many years. And, th you know, that has an impact on people's lives. And it certainly has an impact on business. And, you know, if you compare copy from people that are just like, you know, your TikTok trading gurus and stuff like that with like a Sandsburg and Associates copy, like the copy is like night and day. And people can choose like, you know, based on their own ethics and their own morals, like, do I want to write copy that's like a little bit more ethical, still, still pushes the sales, but it's, you know, more about presenting an evocative and emotionally compelling idea than it is about like promising that people are going to like, you know, become TikTok billionaires or something like that, you know, based on like trading a simple indicator or, you know, some stupid thing like that. And so when I was managing Mark's business um, and attaching it to Agora Financial, like I had to learn copy. It was absolutely necessary to learn copy. And it kind of like you, where the more I started getting into it, the more I started like trying to do it, the more it just like tickled every single dopamine center in my brain. And then suddenly I was just like, I literally it's like a combination of storytelling and analysis and it's and like creating things that are evocative and compelling uh it was just delightful and it, man like i love writing long-form financial direct response sales copy it is just wonderful it does it's not for everybody yeah, yeah. it's certainly not for everybody but for me and like getting over that initial hump of reluctance and finally like being like, all right, this is a thing that I just have to do. And once I started actually doing it, I was like, Oh my God, I love this. I, I, everyone back at home in Singapore, when I tell them what I do now, they're just like, you went to art school. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you're making a mistake. Don't, don't talk to normies about what you do. Just say, Hey, I, you know, I write for a magazine. Just say something like that. Yeah, I remember um, from a talk that Justin Gershwin gave that he 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 asked for his name like his business card to be like researcher and not copywriter because nobody knows what the fuck a financial copywriter is and technically yeah. like ninety percent of what we do is research. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, I gave up trying to explain to my parents. <laughs> my family members, uh, what I do. I think the only family member that actually understands what I do is my wife, but it's because, you know, she was in sales too. And, you know, she actually gets that world and, you know, she's worked with my sales copy and things like that. My, um, the one, I, I want to tell you a story. I, I was having dinner with, um, Kyle Milligan and another copywriter named Manny Madrano, um, both really good dudes. And, I just remember it was at the steakhouse in Delray Beach and Kyle leans forward on the table and he looks at me and he goes, Hey, Sean, do you ever have trouble talking to normies about this stuff? <laughs> and uh, it was just so funny because like he had been struggling, like trying to talk to people about like, like, um, it's like Cosa Nostra. It's like the mafia. It's like, this is our thing. Like, and what you realize is that the deeper you get into this world, the deeper you get into copywriting, the more lonely it becomes because you really can't talk to anybody about this kind of stuff. You're either in it and you're aware of it and you understand 
what is being said or you're just kind of outside and it's a difficult situation to be in. Um, something that I've had to learn how to, like, I have had to relearn how to talk to normal people about things that they care about rather than the things that I care about. Oh my God, this reminds me of, um, uh, during the Stansbury boot camp, uh, it was, we had a lunch break and I noticed that nobody was sitting next to Mike Palmer. And I was like, are they, are they crazy? Is that MTC for me? And I, I grabbed it, I sat next to him, I got to like pick his brain during the lunch break. And then after that, I called my parents like, oh my God, I sat next to Mike Palmer for lunch. And they had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, he's a big deal. Like, I don't know how to explain to you how he's a big deal, but he's a big deal. Trust me. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely it's the only other people you can talk to about this stuff is the copywriters. But yeah. we're a fun bunch. Um, <laughs> fun. <laughs> I was also yeah. going to ask, like, how how is life different for you now that you're a copywriter as compared to, you know, all those years ago when you were teaching? Um, I will say this. Becoming a copywriter also aligned with a period of my life, a very difficult period of my life, where I had to sort of, like, realign and readjust like how I saw myself what my values were like who I wanted to be as a man things of that nature and um so like a, a lot of different things were happening in my life at the same time you know getting divorced like figuring out like what I wanted to do with my life like you know spinning up a bunch of businesses but then like also like realizing that like you can't just spin up businesses you actually have to like focus on them <laughs> you have to like help them grow like oh crap um, and so for me, it was the transition from like teaching, like, you know, my job is to show up and teach people and also pay me like, you know, once every other week and, and things like that, like switching from that mindset to being like, oh my God, like my pay is directly connected to how much work I do and the quality of the work that I do. Whereas most people never experience that. Most people do not live, do not see, do not experience a meritocracy. I think that's why a lot of people in America and around the world, but America especially, are so very cynical about like uh, money and opportunity and things like that. They they don't live in a world where there is an opportunity to get more money based on doing more work or doing work better. You know, at the end of the day, they say, you know, you and the lazy person are getting the same paycheck. But my experience, like, you know, working up through the ranks at Agora and then becoming a copywriter and then, like, writing good copy and getting paid. You know, there was one royalty check that I got for a promo that I wrote that was over $100,000. It bought me the house that I'm in currently. And, like, I don't know really many other people that have gotten a $100,000 check for work that they did a year before. Like... Not a whole lot of people can talk about that. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that, like, what I discovered getting into copywriting was an entirely different mindset, divorced from that, like, just show up and collect a check. It totally changed my attitudes about work, about the merits of work, about the intrinsic value of work. And also, like, you know, now that I have this mindset, like, I wish I could go back in, in time and, like, you know, tell myself, like, you know, think about things differently. Like you can actually like achieve 
a lot in this life and actually get paid commensurate with the effort and the work that you do. So long as you approach things a little bit differently, you know, don't just go into a job that's, you know, easy and offering you money, like actually find something that is going to reward you for the person you are, the work that you do. And if that job doesn't cut it, find something else, be a little selfish and like actually do the hard work to be selfless in a situation that is going to result in you either getting promoted, getting more money, things like that. That can be as a freelancer. That can be as an employee. It doesn't matter. So long as you have the mindset of like your value is entirely connected and correlated with the value that can, you can bring and deliver to the people that you're working for. Um, a lot of people don't experience that. They don't see that, yeah. but I've seen it. There's a whole other world out there that other people, I want them to see it. God, that's exactly why I asked you on, on the show, because the, the first time I think someone else was talking about like the royalties on something that you wrote in 2020, and they were like doing the math. I don't remember numbers. I'm really bad at numbers, despite being a financial copywriter. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that's a thing. Like, because I don't know about... I mean, I can't speak from my experience, but I also know that there are a lot of unhappy teachers in America and they're highly qualified, way more, like they have way more paper qualifications than, than I do, um, but they're not like compensated fairly for everything that they're, they're doing as a teacher. Um, and then I joined this Discord and then here you are, a former teacher um, who bought, you know, his house with a, a single royalty check, like. Yeah. yeah that... No, I, I was able to pay off my all my student loans with a single check. I was able to buy a house with a single check. I like I was able to buy a car with a single check. Like, uh, listen, I am extremely grateful, and you know, a lot of it, like I said, lightning in a bottle. I wrote a promo that became a hit, right time, right place. But it, it wasn't the first multi million dollar promo that I had written. I'd written you know a couple before, but it was the first one that really took off, and like. Um, you know, part of that was I had Alvaldo Albuquerque as my mentor and senior on that promotion. He, you know, he didn't really do a whole lot to my copy, you know, changed some stuff around and simplified it. Uh, and I can point to places in the copy where like, you know, that was Alvaldo, that was me, that was Alvaldo. Um, but what I got was, you know, just an exceptional experience of like actually having success and seeing what success can bring into a person's life. Uh, because Alvaldo left Agora Financial, I was the best-selling back-end financial copywriter in 2020 at Agora Financial. And just realizing that, like, you know, yes, you're worth it as a person, but also you can find additional worth and additional value in yourself based upon the work that you do for other people. If you teach, if you spend 80 hours grading 460 papers in your little server book in the job that you're moonlighting at, like, you're going to get paid the exact same as the teacher who doesn't give a shit. And in teaching, unfortunately, in America, you know, your effort, your intelligence, your acumen, your effort that you put in, it's not rewarded. Um, at least, I mean, not directly and not immediately. Copywriting is cool because there's that immediate connection between write a thing, send a thing, get paid. Like, you know, direct response is great for that reason because, you know, especially for people with ADHD, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is the quote? The problem with immediate gratification is it takes too long. Um, 
Yeah, there, there's an immediate gratification aspect to direct response where it's like with teaching, like if you're good, you have to be consistently good for many years in order to reap any sort of reward whatsoever. And usually it's a trophy or a plaque. That's it. And a hundred dollar gift card to Applebee's. That's what you get as a teacher. And, you know, it sucks. There are some very highly paid teaching positions, but like it's a it's a complicated game, and that's a completely different conversation altogether. Like, you have, if there's the publisher parish aspect of it, you have to be a pretty renowned scholar and things like that in order to get those sort of like you know really advanced, really high paying tenure track positions at good universities, and those are largely disappearing because college admissions have been declining for the last ten years. So, you know, my opinion is that teachers, unless they are super passionate about it, you know, if you're super passionate about something, like I said before, approach it with monomaniacal singularity of purpose. But if you're a teacher and you're unhappy, there are other things that you can do that will reward you and treat you like a real human being. <laughs> and actually, like, you know, there are, there's a locus of respect that you can, like, find and, like, be like, oh, my God, I'm actually worth I'm worth more than $18,000 a year. Holy crap. Like, it's a cool feeling. But you only discover it after you leave the profession. And that's, I think, really unfortunate. And that's going to be, I think, bad for America. You know, <laughs> it's not good <laughs> for a society that teachers are horrifically mistreated and underpaid. But unfortunately, you know, we don't get to live in the world we want. We have to live in the world that we're in. Uh, that's, I think that's a, a great way to, because uh, you, you answered my final question, you know, what, you, what would you say to all the teachers out there who are stuck, who are on the fence, you know, don't know if they should go all in to copywriting or, any, you know, anything else that's out there that appeals to you. Uh, just want to end off with, like, a really quick story. What you said about uh, being treated like an actual human being. I actually said that on the last day. At work, I was like, someone asked me, so what are you going to do now? I was like, I don't know. I just want to hang out and be a human being. And he thought I was being sarcastic. <laughs> but I meant it, you know? Like, it, it was, it, se- it seemed so little asked for, but at the time it seemed like a lot to just, like, who, what am I and who am I without all of this? Um, and not being seen in relation to just, you know, my students, whom I love, uh, and, grades and you know lesson prep um and just having that space to figure out who you are as a human being and like sean said that there's so many other ways that your contributions to society can be um, measured and valued more fairly and humanely (laughs) um yeah thank you so much for you know, sharing this time with us. It's like one hour fifteen minutes. It's way more than the time that I, I scheduled with you. And you're a really generous and wonderful person and appreciate you. Um I also have to run off after this. He's like he's shaking his head at the camera right now. But he really is. Go check out all of his um content on Copy That and on DIY Wealth. Uh it's always like a fun read or watch when you know sean is involved do you have any like last words you'd like to share with the audience yeah i 
the last thing that I would say is that transitioning from teaching to copywriting or really just engaging in copywriting at all, like you don't need to abandon what you're doing to become a copywriter. Like you can pick up, you know, you can work your nine to five and you work a five to nine. And I would say that copywriting is a much more fulfilling five to nine than like moonlighting as a waiter. And so, you know, the cool thing about copywriting is that you really do get to set your own hours if you're starting off as a freelancer. And it is possible, like, Yes, it's difficult to hit those lofty like $10,000 a month, you know, $100,000 a year, things like that. You know, most people do not hit that in the first one, two, five, even 10 years that they're doing this. But it is possible. And if you're just looking for something to do that's fulfilling and fun and intellectually engaging, copywriting is not the worst thing that you can do. Ditch digging. Ditch digging is worse. Thank you so much, Sean, uh, and we'll see you guys next week.